We've been talking about different types of prayer, and last time we were together, we talked about the prayer of faith and also the prayer of agreement, which is very similar to the prayer of faith, but it's where two people hook up together and get in faith and pray. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to these past messages. Outline them because as you disciple people, it'll be wonderful for you. Tonight, I really want to talk to you about the prayer life of the righteous. And you need to know that you have been made righteous, that you are the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ. And your prayer life comes from that position. Very important. So let me just back up a little bit, and I'm going to invite you into my world as a pastor. And this is why we do what we do around here. So in the category of tonight and every time that I get in this pulpit, the Lord is wanting to build and strengthen beliefs that you have in the Word of God. The purpose of beliefs, okay, is to govern what people think, say, and do. It's, it's not enough to just believe. You want those beliefs to get strong enough so they start to affect the way you think, what you say, and what you do. Because remember, it's the doer of the word that's blessed. God wants you not to just know that he's a blesser. He wants you to walk in it all. Amen? Not just that he's a healer. He wants you to experience his healing power. Not that he's just a deliverer or a restorer, but that he's your deliverer and he's your restorer. Right? So teaching, when I teach the word of God or when any, any minister or any believer teaches the word of God, it's going to do two things. One of two things. It's either forming a new belief... We do that some around here, but what we do a lot of is we strengthen a current belief. That's number two. So teaching will form new beliefs, will strengthen beliefs for the purpose of affecting what you think, what you say, what you do. We as ministers see that's how we form new beliefs in people. Because remember Romans 10, based on what you hear, is what you're going to believe. And what you believe is what you're going to act on and speak, and what you act on and speak is what you're going to have in your life. So we're going all the way back to the beginning. Strengthen beliefs, uh, what that does is it, you know, it's one thing to be able to quote a scripture. Have you ever noticed the ability to quote a scripture doesn't mean you're going to walk in it? It's not just reading the Bible, it's renewing your mind to it. And we're completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the entrance of his words bring light. So right now you're hearing, and you're going to hear the word tonight, and what will happen if you have ears to hear, and you'll take that and start meditating in that, if you'll reverence and honor and respect God's word above everything else in your life, then what happens as you're meditating in it, the entrance of his words, that, that word in Psalms means the opening. The Holy Spirit will open God's word on the inside of you and light brings light. And so his, his word then lights your spirit man. 
The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So, so what happens is God leads you by your spirit. He never leads you by outward things. If you're led by outward things, you can go off. Have, have, have you ever done that? Where there's a feeling, there's things. It all looks so much like God. Right up until you drive off the end of that pier in shark-infested waters, and you're like, what, how did I get here? The cool thing is when you do that, you say Jesus. You repent, he picks you up and gets you out of that mess. But it would be better not to get in the mess. But he'll lead you from the inside. His word will light your spirit. And that's why he says the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. God leads you by your spirit man. And so the word of God is now a lamp to your feet, right? So it lights your spirit and it tells you right where you are in life. Do you know a lot of people live their whole life and they never really know right where they are? Because I was beaten up with this lie of worthlessness, as an athlete, I always was ready for everybody to find out that it was a fake facade, that I really wasn't uh, as good of a basketball player that everybody thought I was, right? And I would work hard, and I would, you know, I would work and work and work, and I'd always feel like, man, I'm just not in as good enough shape. I look back now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what a treadmill that was. You know, because I wasn't seeing anything the way it really was, right? Now, the word is a lamp to my feet. I see things exactly the way they are. I know who my enemy is, and it's never people, That's right? right? It, I know that. It's, it's who's working behind the scenes, right? And so, it's a lamp to my feet. It tells me right where I'm at, but it also lights my path. It tells me which way to go leads me from the inside. So this is why we want to strengthen beliefs. See, as a minister, I'm here to encourage people to allow their beliefs to govern what they think, say, and do. That's what this is all about. I'm not here as a pastor to tell you how you should live your life. There's no anointing for me. Tell you what to do. Hey, pastor, what do you think I should do? Listen, I don't even want my own opinion, right? Why would I want my opinion when I have the Holy Spirit who knows everything? He's already in every day of my life. Does that make sense? So that's why we work out our own salvation. Your flesh will always try to pull you to work out somebody else's salvation, but you can't because you don't know really the next thing that God needs to work on them on, right? And to be honest with you, as you walk and as you spiritually get really mature, the more mature you get, the more up to here you are with you. Right? Man, I can't, I can't really think about what you're doing in your life. i got to keep myself right. Right? So, so reasons, reasons why people will abandon what they believe. So there's so many people, like in our circles, we hear the word, so their belief is correct. But, but sometimes people will abandon their belief for different reasons. Problems in life 
will come against a person's belief. Right? We see that in the Word all the time. It's not if the floods come, if the wind blows, right? It's not if you're going to walk through the waters or through the rivers or walk through the fire. It's always when, right? So, so problems in life can come against a person's belief. A person gets caught up with the pleasures and the, and of this life and living for themselves. That can cause them to abandon what they really believe. we got to be real careful with that. See, we can never get away from the reality that our lives work when he's first. Because when we start being all about our own pleasure and our own life, what happens there is now we're operating under the law of sin and death because we're self-aware. We're not created to be self-aware. But oh, as we're God-aware, as we fix our eyes on him, now we're seeking him, and oh, he has this ability to add things to give you a wonderful life. But when he adds them, this is the thing. It brings satisfaction, excitement. It drips with his love for you, but it never has you. Right? God doesn't mind you having a very nice vehicle or multiple ones or a very nice home, multiple ones. He just doesn't want any of them to have you. Right? So how do you form beliefs in people? So... One way is to illustrate a truth from the Word of God in different ways. So Jesus did this a lot. In other words, if you think of a truth as a, as a hill, if you notice what we do, the hill of God, God's will is that you walk in health. Well, when we teach that, we go up that same hill many different ways. So, so this is how Jesus did it. Illustrate a truth different ways to teach it. Example, right? Two pennies plus two pennies equals four pennies. Two people plus two people equal four people. Illustrate the same truth different ways, right? Deuteronomy chapter 19, you should really write this scripture down. Deuteronomy 19, 15. We quote this all the time in our circles. But nobody really knows where this verse is at. So you'll be glad you came tonight because now you'll really know where it's at. Deuteronomy 19.15, the second part of this verse is a principle in the Old Testament. It's in the Word of God. It's so true. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall a matter be established. So this is why, when, it, like w- the way I teach, I will use several scriptures, yes. several scriptures, which is truth. Why? To establish that in your life. Does that make sense? Yes, so this is what we're talking about. Now, why are we talking about this? We're talking about the prayer life of the righteous. This is the foundation of all this. The way to get beliefs formed in people is through the accumulation of knowledge. So what we do is we bring knowledge of who God is from the Word of God, different scriptures, and as we build that, what happens now, it forms a belief 
in you. And eventually, as that belief gets strong enough, it will start governing what you think and what you say and what you do. Because, you know, you have an enemy. And, and we know Satan's our enemy. But you have another enemy. And, and I'm telling you, you listen to this enemy more than you listen to anybody else. And, and if you want to see who that enemy is, all you got to do is just go look in the mirror. Because you'll beat yourself up for things. And God's over here going, no, no, he doesn't beat you up. He wants you to forget the past and come on and come with him. Because he's already taken care of it. Right? We sang about that tonight. Example here, it's always God's will to heal. So we see this in the word of God. We see it in the words of Jesus, right? He commissioned the 12 to go out and heal the sick. He commissioned the 70 to go out and heal the sick. Then after his resurrection, he commissioned the church to go lay hands on the sick. There's scripture after scripture after scripture to build this belief. 19 individual cases of healing. Not one time did anybody ever come to Jesus and he said, yeah, it's not my will to heal you. That's your cross to bear. No. To the only one who asked him about his will, he said, of course I will. I always will heal you. So, but we have to build this belief because you can't fake faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, right? So another way, not only the words of Jesus, but the actions of Jesus he went about, you know, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, even with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. His actions. A third thing, a third category to fill in this is the Old Testament types and shadows. You have the brazen serpent in the Old Testament that shows a picture of Jesus as a healer the Passover lamb. Then you have another fourth category, if that's not enough. In the mouth of two or three, let it be established. Let's do four. The whole redemptive plan of God. The plan of redemption. The word saved even means to heal and make whole. Right? So, so why this is an example of how we take truths and the accumulation of this revelation knowledge of the Word of God will form a belief that will govern what you think, say, and do. Oh, try to just think right, speak right, and act right in your own strength. No life in it, is there? No. But get so full of the Word of God and revelation going off, and all of a sudden, your lifestyle will change. Right? The more scripture you give people, the stronger the belief. So you got to be really careful if you're not hearing God's word. Because if there's no word, there's no proper beliefs. And remember how your mind works, right? So your imagination, God made your mind and your imagination, whatever you're imagining it, that's where your behavior comes out of. So the enemy will throw thoughts with just contrary to the word of God to get you to take those thoughts and start speaking them so you start building this movie going on in your mind of you living your life some way different than what the word of God says. And if you keep, then once that's going, 
the enemy will cause people and circumstances and situations to come into your life so that you could keep acting on that movie and what you're doing is you're acting on it and you do these things over and over and over. Now you're building a stronghold. The bad things about strongholds, the prisons in our mind, is Satan doesn't build them. He literally gets us to build them. And if we have this stuff going on, we're never going to have a proper prayer life because we're going to start going to God thinking, well, he's going to answer my prayer today because I was really good today. If you ever think that statement, see, the other side of that coin is when you really mess up and you really need God to come on the scene, you won't think you're worthy enough. And what, what it is is you're making this all about you when it's all about Jesus. Right? Thank God it's not all about me. You must have a scriptural knowledge of, of the Word of God to form a proper belief which will cause you to speak and act right so that you can now live this thing. So turn to Hosea chapter 4 in verse 6. Right at the beginning of this verse, it gives us a principle. Hosea 4, 6. While you're turning there, or just write it in your notes, because this is a great scripture, God says through his word, my people are destroyed, why? For a lack of knowledge. See, to form a proper belief you need an abundance of knowledge. What is eternal life? According to John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God. Right? It's knowledge of God. Isn't it amazing? You want to find out God's plan for your life? Yeah. This is how you find out. You get to know him. Well, I want to get, I need, really need to be healed. Yep, get to know God. What's the answer to everything in life? Well, I got to know I need direction in my life. Yep, it'll be found in as you pursue getting to know God. Everything is that. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Let's break this down a little bit. This word destroyed is the Hebrew word dama. D-A-M-A-H. It literally means to be silenced. Isn't that interesting? and cut off and destroyed because you cannot partake of the covenant that you have. See, Satan's got to shut your mouth or get you to shut. He can't shut your mouth. He's got to get you to shut your mouth in order to cut you off from, from walking in the blessings of the word. My people are destroyed. They're silenced and they're cut off and they're destroyed because they can't partake of the covenant. Have you ever really messed up in life and created a gigantic mess? Well, I've got good news for you. You have a covenant where you could say, Father, I messed up. Here it is. I repent and I turn to you and here, here's the mess. Thank you. And he'll clean it up. Isn't that good news? That's good news. It says here, you're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. This is the Hebrew word darat. I'm probably not saying these right, but it's D-A-R-A-T. 
It literally means discernment. If you write down Isaiah 1.12, it, it, it talks about, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 11, 11.2, I'm sorry. Isaiah 11.2, it talks about this whole thing here, discernment, is knowledge revealed by the Holy Spirit. This word is used 91 times in the Old Testament. It's used 40 times in the book of Proverbs, and it always talking about wisdom. So my people are destroyed. They're silenced. They're cut off and destroyed because they can't partake of the covenant because they have a lack of discernment of what God has given them. It's basically what it's saying. Now Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13 is another scripture that talks about the same thing. Isaiah 5.13 says, Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. So we have a couple Old Testament scriptures that show us a lack of knowledge could bring captivity and destruction in our life. Captivity. This, this literally, this Hebrew word literally means to be exposed and taken into captivity. See, what happens when you have no knowledge of God and these things are coming against you illegally, you have nothing to say in faith. And you are exposed the fact that you're not in faith. And it'll cause you to be destroyed and taken into captivity all the time while you're a world overcomer and you're, you've been made the righteousness of God. He's able to do that. Isn't that crazy? But this is why we teach, because he has no power to do that. And once you know these things, you're like, okay, I'm going to put this first. This is why Paul said, my determined purpose is to know him. And everything flows out of knowing him. Why am I preaching this along the lines of prayer? Because our prayer life has to come from this place. Right? You have to know who God is. You have to know who you are in him. That you've been made the very righteousness of God. So Romans chapter 1 in verse 16 and 17, it says this. Romans 1 verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This word salvation is the Greek word soterior. It literally means to rescue. So in other words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto being rescued. This word also means being delivered. This word also means to be healed. It's the power of God to be healed, to make safe, to make sound, to make whole, to prosper. That's salvation. It's the gospel of Christ. Isn't that awesome? It says here, it's, it's, 
It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, right? Not just everyone. No, it's been given to everyone, but it won't do anybody any good if they don't choose to believe it. And here's what Satan doesn't want anybody to know. Believing is simply a choice. It's not a feeling. You could believe things when you don't feel them, right? To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God. So therein what? In the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the whole gospel of the anointed one and his anointing will reveal salvation to us. I love that. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This word just, it literally is a Greek word that means the justified ones, the ones that have been declared righteous shall live by faith. Isn't that interesting? Now, how were you made righteous? Was it by works? No. We simply believed what Jesus did. Our, the righteousness of God comes only one way, by simply believing through faith in what he did. So, in other words, righteousness is not a thing. It's a position. It's not your lifestyle. Your lifestyle comes out of righteousness. Righteousness is not a thing. It's a position that we have with our Heavenly Father. We've been declared righteous. When? The moment you invited Jesus to be your Lord. You were declared righteous, and you became an heir of all that that means. Isn't that awesome? So God made this position of righteousness available to man, how? Through Jesus. Everything is through Jesus. It's all about him. Our prayer life is all about Jesus. As you grow in the knowledge of this gospel through being a doer of the gospel or a doer of the word, what happens, you become more aware of this position of righteousness that you've been given. You don't become more righteous even though you feel like it you're just becoming more aware of what that is, of your position. So the key to understanding the things of God, how important is this? The key to understanding the things of God, it's the key is you have to understand the position that you have with him. You have to understand righteousness. Does that make sense? Most sermons teach us about what Jesus did for us. But we have to teach about what Jesus has done in us. This is so important. As you're sitting here tonight, if you've simply invited Jesus into your heart, do you realize as you're sitting here, you are the very righteousness of God in Christ. You have your Father's ear who is the God of all creation and he will move heaven and earth for you to make sure his word comes to pass in your life. 
the one who created the planet, the one who's holding everything. He's holding the whole universe together by the power, or I'm sorry, by the word of his power. He is watching over his word to perform it in your life because he loves you. And his love for you is not based on you. It's based on him. It's the love of God. It's unconditional. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He loved you and I when we were dead and separated from him. You could say, how much more does he love us now? He just loves us. Who's his favorite? All of us. Right? Righteousness is what you are in Christ. Holiness is what you do or your conduct. Holiness comes out of righteousness. Holiness is a result of you understanding that you've been made righteous. So if there's sin habits in your life that you can't seem to overcome, don't focus on the sin habit. Focus on the position that you've been given from God. Let the Holy Spirit build this belief in your spirit, man, and bring revelation as you put his word first. And all of a sudden, you'll see that that conduct will change. Other, the other end of it is you're trying to change. Well, good luck with that. We're never to be strong in ourselves. We're always to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Does that make sense? It's time for the church to rise up and be there to encourage and build up believers that are struggling in this area. Because what happens? You have a secret sin habit in your life, it'll eat your lunch. Because your spirit's going, this is not right. It creates inner turmoil. And if you, and if you don't get in the word, you're going to start beating yourself up, thinking you're this lowly worm and that there's no hope for you. And all the time, that's, those are all lies. You're, you're still the righteousness of God in Christ. But who you are is not able to be shown on the outside because you're just living out of your flesh. There's no life in it. But oh, there's a glorious life. It, it's a life of rest to walk. When you walk holy before your God, that's easy. You want to know what's hard? Is to walk and be flesh ruled. That's hard. Because you're frustrated. You get up every morning, 1 John 1, 9. Yep. 20 minutes later, you're doing the very thing that you did before. And then you beat yourself. Then, then the enemy's like, wow, okay. You know, this is never going to change. You're just a mess. You can't do anything for the kingdom. Just, you know, go do this, go do that, whatever. And, and it's, he's trying to separate you from your faith so that he could eat your lunch. But oh, when you realize that as you're sitting here, whether you feel like it or not, Wherever you are, if you're a child of God, you have been made righteous. And if you will start to learn who you are in him, man, I'm telling you, revelation of righteousness will bring peace, it'll bring quiet assurance, and it will cause you to walk holy before your God. It's awesome. Anything, any holy conduct that Tony Finley walks in is not a result of me being a good person. It's a result of me understanding and walking in a revelation of righteousness. I can't take any credit for it. 
Neither can you. Nobody can. Right? So, a lack of knowledge of righteousness will cause a believer to live in bondage when they're free. One thing holding more Christians back and in bondage is literally this lack of knowledge of who they are, of righteousness. That's why we need to teach on it. Righteousness, if you look at the Pauline Revelation, all these epistles, righteousness is the key word to the revelation that God gave Paul. It's the key word that he received from Jesus. So when did you receive this gift of righteousness? When you got saved. You'll never, you'll never be more righteous than you were the day you got saved. We are aware, we are so aware of what we've been born out of. But we have to start becoming more aware of what we've been born into. Because we're living at the end of the church age, guys. You know? And, and, and here's the thing. You could go pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever. Pan theory, it's all going to pan out. But the reality of it is, your life and my life's a vapor. I was 28, and then I blinked. And now I'm 58, and I'll blink again, and I'll be 88. Right? It just goes that fast. And God has a wonderful plan for your life that's today. And if you've been walking your own way, the good news is just get back on the path and he'll get you on. And then he'll redeem the time. He'll help you catch up so that you can still finish strong. This thing as a Christian, it's not how you start the race. I'm so thankful for that. It's how you finish. Right? This is huge. So Romans chapter 5 Verse 19 through verse 21. I'm giving you a short little thing on righteousness to set a foundation here. Romans 5, 19 through 21. It says this, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, because of Adam's disobedience we were all born into sin. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Because of Jesus' obedience, now I've been able to be made righteous. Verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, God gave us the law to show us we needed a Savior. Right? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Verse 21, that as sin has reigned to death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. But how does it do that? By Jesus Christ. It's all about him. So in other words, right standing means I'm declared righteous. I'm justified by God. It means I'm in right standing with God. I love E.W. Kenyon's definition of righteousness. The ability to stand 
in the presence of my Father without any sense of guilt or inferiority as if sin has never existed. Every sin that you've ever committed was condemned according to the book of Romans in the body of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's all paid for. Isn't that good news? So that's why old things, that sin nature passes away. Now everything becomes new. I love that. Righteousness is a gift of God provided for us by Jesus at Calvary and comes to us through the grace of God. Amen? So remember that. Righteousness is not a thing. It's a position. And and our righteousness, it comes through our union with Jesus at the new birth. This is very important that we know that. So I love Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, uh, in verse 14, it says this, In righteousness you shall be established. This Hebrew word means you shall be fixed and immovable. Isaiah 54, 14. In righteousness you shall be established. It says, for you shall be far from oppression. You'll be far from oppression. This word oppression means something that will come down and exercise hard control over you. Why? Because you will not fear. See, you can't be oppressed if you're not in fear. Isn't that good news? And from terror, it won't come near you. It goes on to say in verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. It tells you that weapons will be formed, but they just won't prosper. Why? Because you've been made righteous. You're in righteousness. Isn't that good news? Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you'll condemn it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome you have a free license in this verse to completely walk in love towards everybody because you never, you never condemn the person who's speaking death over you. You just condemn the tongue so it doesn't produce anything and you still love the person. Isn't it easy to love somebody who gossips about you? I mean, when you really think about it, because have you ever done that to somebody else? Don't, don't lift up your hands. I'll lift, I'll lift up my hands for everybody, right? We've all messed up in that area, right? So, so here's the thing. We show grace. We walk in love. And look at the end of this verse. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. You could read it like a New Testament believer. This is the heritage of the sons and daughters of God. And it says in their righteousness, I could just see my father saying that, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. In the New Testament, it says that you and I are unaccusable. Isn't that amazing? Because of what Jesus did. See, fear is a result of not knowing about righteousness. Fear is a result of not acting upon your righteousness. So that's why you have to know and act on it and walk it out. Your prayer life, I come to my Father. I don't come to the throne of grace. I come boldly to the throne of grace. God, The Word doesn't tell me to come to the throne of grace. 
It, come, it tells me to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. What? Well, you only need mercy when you messed up. So that means you messed up and you're coming messed up boldly. But I'm not coming on by myself. I'm coming in Christ. Father, I come to your throne of grace today as your child. As one who's been made righteous by the very blood of Jesus. I come boldly, not on my own merit, Father. I come boldly on what Jesus did. And Father, right now, I just, I just receive mercy. And I receive your grace to help me in my time of need. You know, today, your time of need, what is today? The 12th? Yeah, so your time of need, I'll prophesy. Your time of need tomorrow will be the 13th. Right? So we need to come boldly to the throne of grace. See, fear results when we do not walk in our righteousness. And, and according to uh, Isaiah 54, 14, fear opens the door to oppression. So we, we don't fear. This is why Paul told Timothy, I haven't given you the spirit of fear. So now I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 11. We have, we, we, I've, we've given you a little glimpse of what it is to be righteous. So now let's look, Luke chapter 11, let's look at the prayer life of Jesus. In verse 1, he says this, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So in other words, while Jesus is praying, his disciples are watching him pray. And they must have seen something in the prayer life of Jesus that really caught their attention. I remember my pastor in California, uh, he talked and he said about a time where he was staying at Brother Hagen's house, Kenneth Hagen, uh, Dad Hagen. He was staying at their house and he woke up and he went downstairs and Brother Hagen's office, his door, the door, the door to his office in their house was kind of cracked. And he said he felt kind of funny because he was kind of creeping on him. So he, he heard him praying. So he just kind of went over there and was kind of peeking through the door watching him pray. He said he learned more about prayer in that five minutes than he had ever known because there was just a different level of intimacy with God. Well, guess what? That wasn't for Brother Hagen. That's for every one of us, right? So good. Verse 2, And Jesus said unto them, when you pray, so now they asked him a question, right? Teach us to pray. So now Jesus is going to go, and he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, Hollywood, or holy be, be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that is in debted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil so what jesus was not giving them was a formula jesus never taught in formulas jesus taught principles so he was giving them some principles now religion has taken this and you know we, we got to pray this in every service. Well, it, 
it tells us in the Gospels, don't, don't pray this. It, it doesn't say pray this. It says at, like this, after this manner. In other words, Jesus is saying, learn some principles from this. Verse, uh, now, now, Jesus, he, he tells this story, in these, in, or he answers this question, and he gives us this prayer through verse 4. Verse 5 through verse 13 now, he's going to tell them a story. Okay? So there's two types of stories in the New Testament, in the Bible, and you got to know the difference. The first one is an allegory. An allegory is a story which every detail of the story is associated to another person or thing. An allegory is a story in which the principal subject is described by another subject resembling it. It is a figurative description of real facts. So like an example of that, if you study the book of Psalms, the 80th Psalm, God's chosen people are presented as a vineyard. So that's, a, that's an example of an allegory. But then the second type is a parable. A parable is a natural story which reveals a spiritual principle. A story in which one meaning is driven home. A parable doesn't have more than one meaning. It's one meaning, maybe a lot of facts, but one meaning is being driven home. Okay, the parable. Parables were always spoken for the purpose of driving home one point. So this story from verse 5 to verse 13 is a parable. Jesus is trying to drive home one point. Okay? Verse 5. And he said to them, which of you... Now remember, he's answering their question of how to pray. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him or nothing to feed him. Verse 7, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you. Now realize, you know, now as a New Testament believer, the door's not shut between you and God, okay? But now he's driving home one point. Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he's a friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. He won't give him the bread because he's a friend, but because of importunity, he will give him as many as he needs. He's teaching him about prayer. So most Christians have defined this word importunity as persistence. But that's not what the Greek word means. And, and it gets you off if you think that's what it is. Persistence means to ask for something over and over until you get what you want. Right? 
Have you ever seen little kids? Ooh, man. When you say no, they just think you need more information. And they're, they're just going to keep saying banana, 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 right? Thank God they invented duct tape. No, I'm just teasing. I would never, would never use that. I'm a grandfather. They don't ever have to even banana, banana. It's like, yeah. Mom goes, what are you, you're always, you're never the bad guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm the grandfather. So verse 13, verse 13 of this story doesn't work because you don't keep asking to receive the Holy Spirit. As we read this story, down in verse 13, it talks about you receiving the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know, there's so many scriptures, you don't ask, oh, Father, please baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Please, please. You can do that for all eternity. That's not how you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? The ingredient that the disciples saw in the prayer life of Jesus was importunity. And this word, this Greek word, means shamelessness and boldness. They saw Jesus praying with no shame and being bold. Now, not arrogance. Have you ever met somebody who's arrogant? It's all about them, man. I'm the coolest thing in the world, right? Boldness is not me. Boldness comes only from I know God. So I'm bold in him because I know him. So this is, if you don't know the proper definition of importunity, then you're going to mess up your whole theology about this small category called God. If you get this wrong, which, guys, a lot of the church has, you'll get everything wrong with God. Another small category called his saving grace, you'll miss the whole thing, and and his infilling grace. These are three pretty big things. See, James, you don't have to turn there, but James chapter 4, verse 2 says, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and yet you have not because you ask not. What it doesn't say is you have not because you didn't ask enough times. It does not say that. You have not, in other words, because you're not bold enough to ask. You ask, verse 3 of James chapter 4, and you receive not because you ask amiss. What does that mean? Your heart motive is wrong. What's that wrong attitude? That you may consume it on your own lusts. See, if you mess up the definition of importunity in Luke chapter 11, you're going to mess up verses 9 through 13. So verse 9, Jesus says, And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find, always. Knock, and it shall be opened. In the context of importunity, it's saying, if you're bold enough to ask, then it shall be given to you. If you're bold enough to seek, you will find. If you're bold enough to knock, it'll be open to you. That's what this is saying. Verse 10, for everyone that asks, check that, isn't that awesome? 
everyone that asks. Everyone that is bold enough to ask receives. Everyone who's bold enough to seek finds. Wow. And to him that is bold enough to knock, it shall be opened. That doesn't sound anything like, well, sometimes God will, and he says yes, and sometimes God says no. My Bible doesn't say that. My Bible says all the promises of God are in Christ, yes. And in Christ, amen, or so be it to me. So this is the basis of my prayer life. First John chapter 5, a scripture we've quoted how many times now? Verse 14 and verse 15. And in this is the confidence that I have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we've asked of him. Mark eleven twenty four, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Most people are bold to ask God to do something for others. But they're not bold to ask God for themselves. Why? Because you're not walking in an understanding that you are righteous. It's the only reason. Isn't that amazing? Can it be that simple? If it wasn't, I wouldn't be doing this. The ingredients that the disciples saw in Jesus' prayer life was boldness. So let me finish this up. Verse 11 of Luke chapter 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Well, the answer, of course, the implied answer is, of course not. Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Well, of course not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him, or in other words, in context, to them that are bold enough to ask him? Isn't that awesome? You got to know, boldness is always a result of knowing God. Daniel 11.32, they that know their God shall be bold and do exploits. Isn't that awesome? I, I hope this encourages you tonight just a little bit. I believe we got to talk a little more about this because there's some other examples of prayer that we'll get into. But man, you need to know that God loves you. And you've been made the very righteousness of him in Christ. And your sin has been condemned in the body of Jesus. And you've been freed. Positionally, you were crucified with Christ, Romans says. You were buried with him in baptism. You were raised to a brand new life. Newness of life. See, it doesn't say you were raised to a brand new life. It says you were raised to newness of life. What that means is it's new right now. And when you get up tomorrow morning, it's new. And by noon tomorrow, it's going to be new. And it's always new. Hello. 
Isn't that awesome? I'm here to tell you, God loves you tonight. And he wants you to have this wonderful, intimate prayer life with him. Walking with him, knowing that he's the God of all mercy, that he's faithful, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that nothing will ever separate you from his love, that he is good because his mercy, it endures forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for tonight. Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, would cause this word to come alive to people, that you, by your spirit, as only you do, meet us right where we are and bring revelation to our hearts. Oh, Father, we have receptive hearts and open ears to receive all that you have. We thank you that we'll not just be a hearer of this word, but we'll be a doer. And we thank you, Father, that we'll take this word and cause the fruit of it to grow in our life so that we can go out and give that fruit away to others by being a light in this dark world to encourage and build up other believers, to bring salvation to people that don't know you. Oh, Father, we thank you that we'll yield all of our fruit in our season and that you'll bring everything that we put our hands to to maturity Oh, Jesus, we're so thankful tonight that you're not only the author, the initiator of our faith, but that you're the developer, you're the completer, you're the finisher. So we thank you tonight that together we're going to finish strong. Father, bless each person here tonight. Give them a great night's sleep. Father, I thank you for causing them to get everything done that they need to get done. May they be refreshed this evening and have wonderful fellowship with family and with friends. And we thank you for all that you're doing at Faith Family Church. We thank you for blessing our time of fellowship together after this service. And Father, we thank you for the wonderful doors that you'll open to us to invite people to church on Sunday, to invite them to the men's and women's Bible study Saturday. Oh, Father, We thank you that we are light in this dark world and we bring light to the darkness. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, listen, thanks for coming tonight, you guys. Great to see you. We'll see you Saturday or Sunday if you could come, but have a great rest of your evening. Praise God.